and we should be live right now everybody good yes yes all right all right um welcome to an episode of oh shit i already f-ed up <laughs> welcome to episode 144 of the bz podcast as always this is zay i am sitting here with brit and we want to thank you for tuning in new listeners i hope you stick around old listeners thank you for coming back this is a good one because today we actually have a special guest we have an executive coach a behavioral scientist the creator and host of the toxic leadership podcast and last but not least a keynote ted talk speaker we're really excited to have this conversation to share this platform and give our listeners content that we feel is very important so on behalf of myself brit our audience, we'd like to give the warmest of welcomes to Dr. Kevin Sansbury. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, hey, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. And I'm just happy to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> and we are happy to talk to you. So um, a little backstory. A couple weeks back, Britt came to me and said, we should do a topic on thoughts. And I thought it was a good idea, no pun intended, but we ended up not covering it that week. And I'm happy we didn't because on this episode, while we get familiar with you and the type of work that you do, Mm -hmm. we will be able to touch on thoughts along the way. Yeah, that sounds good. And I thought it would be fun, given your expertise, Dr. Kevin, to talk with you about thoughts. What are they? How do they behave? With the work that you do, it seems that a big bulk of it is getting people to manage their thoughts, patterns, Mm -hmm. and behaviors. But Mm -hmm. if you had to sum up what it is that you do, how would you describe it? Okay. Yeah. So I work with organizations. So my my area of expertise in uh, behavioral science is toxic leadership and toxic behavior. And so what that looks like is I work kind of on the, it's called the dark side of leadership when you look at the research. And I get brought into companies typically when they want to transform their organizational culture. They want to make the organization better. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of organizations aren't as proactive as I, I would like. And so I typically get brought in when there's a critical incident based on like, you know, racism or discrimination or somebody got sued or something like that. They'll bring me in to like say, OK, what, did the, what was that thing you told us to do like six years ago? And I'm like, oh, OK, remember that thing, you know? So, yeah, right. so I really, yeah. So I get brought in to do that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I work in the areas of uh, human resources, leadership development and anti-racism. And I work with companies ranging from I have a major league baseball team I work with. I work with a some COVID manufacturers. I work, I do some Black Lives Matter consulting in San Francisco. And then I also do work with uh, some tech companies out of Silicon Valley. And so my industries are varied. Um, but yeah, I basically work in the realm of thoughts because that's where everything starts. Right. Wow. No, that's dope. With everything that's going on, you're probably getting a lot of phone calls recently. Yeah, yeah. My oh, website's gosh, blowing up. Yeah. Phone calls. Uh, yeah, people leaving me voicemails on my site. Um, yeah, I had to I had to get a new phone. So a new, I had to get a separate phone number, um, too, actually. And to keep up with, like, who's going where, because my personal line was mm-hmm. on the net. So I had to remove that right. and, like, get, get some different lines. And additionally, a lot of the work that I've been doing now, I had to hire... Um, some social media folks to help out with branding and, and getting the thoughts out there because I didn't have the time anymore because I'm, I'm, I'm getting plugged in a lot of different uh, companies right now. Uh, and so I have people now to support me to do the work because it is pro, you know, people are, people are now, you know, it, it te- what tends to happen is when people are under stress, that's when they get all creative, but I'm like, Hey, where was that creativity? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, when you thought everything was good, you know, so right. to, yeah, and to be frank, it all started really blew up after um, the murder of George Floyd. 
And that's really where yeah. America kind of woke up a little bit, I will say. Right. And mm-hmm. my work has exploded since then. Um, yeah, that's really kind of the genesis of like how my work has grown significantly. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how did you initially land in HR? Yeah. I mean, so I was actually going to school and I was going to get my doctorate in psychology uh, and it was going to range either either clinical or um, social psychology. I ended up not wanting to spend all my day listening to people's problems. That was kind of my mantra. I was like, you know what? I ain't trying to do that. You know, I'm not trying to spend time all day listening to people's problems. Right. Well, mm-hmm. I didn't know that's what HR really kind of ended up being for me um, yeah. because I landed in HR through an internship I had at a hospital. Uh-huh. And the area of HR where I excelled was on the people side of human resources, which is a field called employee relations. And so I worked in an area where I did union negotiation with like nurses unions and other kind of trades unions and stuff like that. And I got to know behavior really well because I was able to be managing contracts. And this was all like before I was like 25 years old, like I was young. And so I was managing like multi-million dollar contracts and key negotiations and stuff like that with some unions and stuff. And I ended up doing a lot of employee relations, which also led into coaching leaders uh, to improve their behavior, coaching employees as it relates to how they're showing up and as it relates to their behavior. And thus, I kind of grew as a uh, as a practitioner or as an employee, I grew and became a vice president of assistant vice president of human resources. I had about 28 staff members. And um, this is all like this was all like like again early career because I'm still I'm only 35 years old. But like I also um, then landed a role doing uh, people values and culture, which included organizational culture work, anti-racism, and human resources. And human resources reported to me at that point. And so I grew up in my career not only um, through HR, but then I got my degree and my doctorate ended up being in organizational behavior focused on toxic behaviors. And that's kind of where mm-hmm. I got educational um, before I got my, and then I got my doctorate, and but before that I got my MBA. And so everything I did mm-hmm. educationally also followed kind of this behavior track and also followed this um, track of like, how can I, how can I shift social systems and my social system is the organization and so and, and, and so I do a lot of my work in companies for that very reason did you have problems with being that you were so young mm-hmm. in that position did you have did you run into a lot of issues of like gaining respect or being taken seriously because I'm sure I mean we know that a lot of the issues come from older people not a lot but mm-hmm. many of them come from you know that older mindset. So did you have trouble with them as far as, you know, getting them to, like, trust you and listen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was doing some pretty big things when I was, like, yeah. in my 20s. And, yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm like, court, like, right. like some pretty, pretty big things. And my key was I never told people how old I was. And so whenever mm-hmm. they asked, I was like, since I was 22, I was 38. So, like, that's, ah, that's, <laughs> that's smart. So that's the, that's that's smart. the truth. Yeah. That so, is smart. Yeah, that's Sometimes you got to. Yeah. And so since I had kids at a young age, um it made that more believable mm-hmm. and also i used to dress like the ceo of any company too so i used to up mm-hmm. i had to upscale the way i presented myself yeah, as well true. and so uh, i worked on a university campus uh for, for some years too and that's where a lot of the assumptions about my age came up because like i remember one time i was sitting in somebody's office waiting for them uh for a meeting 
And the vice president came out and, and to ask the staff, like, hey, did anybody help this student yet? And so as I'm sitting on the couch, I'm looking around like, who's she talking to? You know, and I'm like, who's she talking to? And I'm like, oh, she's talking to me. Well, little did she know I was Kevin Sansbury, who was here to coach her behavior. I oh, was, wow. I, I'm, her, I'm her coach because she, you know, had some issues. Um, and so... That kind of stuff don't happens. You, don't, don't you love when that happens, yeah, though? Yeah, don't you love those lot. little incidents? Yeah. It's <laughs> humbling for them. It was, like. it was like, I was like, oh, wow. Um, and, it ha- and it happened frequently where I'm literally in a position of authority and power over and above the people I'm working with, and they're older than me. Um, mm-hmm. I was also, like, the youngest person, one of the youngest people in my department, and yet I had the majority of the department reporting to me. Right. And so... I had to like get through all of that stigma that people put on age in the workplace because even though like the law prevents discrimination for people over 40, there's a whole hell of a lot of discrimination for people under 40. It's just not mm-hmm. it's just not a, that's not a protected class. And so I had to, you know, I experienced a lot of like microaggressions, I guess I would say, being being younger, but the beauty of that is I was able to like hide that a little better um basically mm-hmm. due to my kids and due to the way i was dressed yeah. dressing and things like that so i was able to hide it so i didn't experience it i wouldn't say that's like a career like incident mm-hmm. for me because i was able to mitigate it but for people in my similar situation there that, that happens a lot especially with women yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 for sure when we hear the term hr like you said before it usually is brought up when something bad happens mm-hmm. um the common belief is that hr departments are the employee's ally um they're going to protect oh. you from the big bad upper management don't believe that yeah that's what i was about to get <laughs> into because I've, I've also seen scenarios i've also seen scenarios where it wasn't so much the protection of the employee but what was in the best interest of the overall yeah. company yeah so my question to you was like have you uncovered any sorts of conflict of interest and how should people be viewing hr as it relates to them being an employee of the company they work for that's a great question so it's it's very complicated because human resources by function is a organizational function that looks out for the best interest of the employees, pl- employer, sorry, that looks out for the best interest of the employer by design. That's literally why it was created. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a lot of HR employees who look out for the best interests a little more widely for employees and for employer. And sometimes employee interest and employer interest are congruent or they're equal. You know what I mean? Are they the same? You know, they overlap. So that's good. But there are mm-hmm. times where, let's say, Something's not in the best interest of the employer, but it's in the best interest of employees. You will find HR people who are advocates in that in that realm where, you know, they'll like say, oh, we need to change this policy. This policy's like it's wrong because it's harming people. You'll see that. And so I'm not going to vilify HR because there are a lot of good things that that do um, that can manifest from that function being there. Now, how should employees view HR? I think employees should view HR just like they view finance. I think employees should view HR just like they do marketing. And so when I say that, they are a business function, point point blank. They are not your advocate. They're not designed to be your advocate. If you Mm -hmm. have specific functions in your company, like an ombudsperson, which is a third party you can go to confidentially or anything like that, or employee assistance program, those are literally designed to be like places you can go. I tell people when you talk to human resources or anybody, document, just like you know, just like you would anybody. So doc, make sure make sure you have documentation, and I also say um, don't have the assumption that anybody 
any function, I guess, in a workplace is fully in your best interest because that's not always the case. And so just don't leave with that assumption because you'll be heartbroken. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for clearing that up because I've seen right. that. Yeah, I, I think that's a general assumption. Yeah. People think HR is like, you know, their savior. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm gonna clarify it because they can save you. <laughs> there are plenty. I mean, yeah. there are plenty. You know, their function. There are plenty of things they can help you with. But then there are also plenty of things that that's outside of their scope that you might think is. So first off, they're not your therapist. So like, right. you're not gonna you're not gonna go mm-hmm. there for like mental health support in that aspect. Second off, they're not your lawyer. So if you need to talk to your lawyer, talk to your lawyer. Um, and so I, I think people try to like there's this thing called paternalism where people view systems to like take care of them when in reality, some systems harm people. And, and so mm-hmm. I don't take a paternalistic approach to any system. I ask people to look for where are your where's your agency and what areas of power do you have without the system and so that's mm-hmm. again if you have external counsel if you have friends if you have a i mean if you trust your supervisor you can talk to your supervisor about some things because you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to get yourself in hot water where um i've seen people say oh i've heard people say i went to hr and then after i went to hr all of a sudden i'm on, I'm on a performance improvement plan or i, I did this and i did that mm-hmm. you know <laughs> yep. and mm-hmm. so like so i don't know so i'm just saying based on the anecdotes that i've heard that you gotta you just have to watch yourself from a um from that standpoint as well but again i'm not saying it's all hr or all hr people it yeah. just depends on the right. organizational culture yeah um yeah i've heard people say that like well i'm going to hr mm-hmm. and and i think the biggest fear for like employees and stuff is like there is a fear of retaliation. Mm-hmm. So like you said, like being on a performance thing or that's when they really start looking into what's going on. And you might not be as clean in the situation you're reporting about as you think you are. Yep. So I think it, it's good to clear yeah. up what's within their realm and within their scope of power to help you out. Yeah. And you can ask questions. I mean, you can ask like, hey, is this confidential? And they'll tell you, mm-hmm. you know, they'll be, I mean, they should be clear about if it is or not. Or are you the best person in this organization that I should talk to about this? And they'll be clear. You know, mm-hmm. they'll tell you, but ask those questions and be curious yeah. <laughs> before you start unloading. Because right. like, yeah, yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. question to lead with for sure. Yeah. I'm always weary when they say like, uh, this is confidential. Yeah. I'm like, how confidential, how confidential is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and typically, typically it's confidential. And what that means in the company is it's on a need to know basis. And so mm-hmm. it's com- mm-hmm. it's, that's the key. It ain't, ain't nothing secret. You, and nobody's holding secrets with you. So it's on a need to know basis. So if you're talking to somebody in HR, you better believe they probably told their boss you came in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Right. And and you and you just don't know. You don't know the trail that that leaves, the crumbs that that leaves, the microaggression that leads, the bias that, mm-hmm. that could leave, you know, whatever that might be. You know, like, hey, so and so said this boss, their boss is doing this. Let's say they told somebody in their department. And the person they told is best friends with your, with your boss. Yep. Right. So now, now how does that look right. on you? You don't, like I'm mm-hmm. just. And what, so what I'm saying is that could happen. I've seen it happen, and and it's not even a intentional thing. Yeah. You know, they're not even doing it. But I'm but I'm saying like you don't know what relationships exist, and so it's yeah. just being being mindful of those politics that may occur behind the scenes. All right. So I want to bring it back to toxic leadership. Um, So I think it's awesome that you are pushing the momentum on addressing these toxic environments that need to change. Um, It honestly seems like that standard practice for business dealings here in America. Like you have to be cutthroat if you want to be taken seriously. Mm. Why do you think that is? Um, Hierarchy and just the nature of capitalism has created kind of a ladder. And two people can't fit on a, a rung of a ladder. 
you know. So if I'm climbing a ladder, mm-hmm. I'm climbing a ladder by myself. It's not really a collective thing. And so America's not really, or United States is not really known as a collectivist society. We're known as being very individualistic. And so with that being said, it creates a zero sum environment, meaning if I succeed, somebody else has to fail, which right. is unfortunate, you know. And so mm-hmm. I don't think so. And, and, and so with that being said, people that exhibit toxic behavior like cutthroating and like and that you know and that's called machiavellianism in the research so machiavellianism where they like are seeking out social gain over and above other people i'm not saying people are like nefarious or evil when they do that the system rewards that behavior that's the problem so you know what i mean so when i do my work on behavior i'm all i'm i do my work in a systemic way because if cutthroat behavior was bad the system would consistently punish it but the system does not consistently punish it and that's the issue Mm. the system consistently punishes people who are marginalized and therefore they continue to get marginalized and voices continue to shrink and so we have to do a better job as a society and which then goes to business and how we do business of creating a different system that rewards collective work that rewards teaming behavior that rewards and you know and then and then actively discredits that cutthroat stuff that you describe right. and so that that's i mean right. it's, it's a system thing um mm-hmm. all in all i mean maybe it's just because i don't have the imagination to see a world outside of how it presently is mm-hmm. but like it seems like uh, that cutthroat stuff is inevitably tied to success. So, like, if you could describe what does that collectivism look like? How could you implement that? Mm-hmm. Like, what, it, what could that be? Because, you know, as in this society, this capitalist society, it's almost like, you know, we go without sleep. We, we do whatever we can, even if it's to the detriment of our health, mm-hmm. in order to, to get ahead. And you're right, that gets rewarded. But like, what other, what other way could there be? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So I mean, why why is it that the CEO has to make two hundred times as more than their um, lowest paid employee? Mm-hmm. Why couldn't it be a hundred? Right. Why couldn't it be one hundred and fifty? Right. Like, I mean, I mean, like you can right. you can still like even if we <laughs> yes. even if, I'm not, like like a lot of people that when I when I say things like that we do jump to like oh so he's a he's a communist I'm like no like no not at all mm-hmm. I'm just saying why do we have to have the gaps that we have because it's not like they're shrinking it's yeah. not mm-hmm. like the wage gap is shrinking the wage mm-hmm. wage gap is exponentially increasing and so my take on progress is how can what can we do different to have to show progress now versus trying to make a magical different system you know like like if we wanted to get to like a society where there was more equality and equity it does start with resources it starts with Mm. money it starts that that's that's the resource that controls our, our economy right and so we have to be able to provide more equitable ways for people to make money we have to be able to provide more equitable ways for people to pay taxes why don't why don't everybody pay why don't everybody pay their fair share of taxes like i mean you can so you can start with things like that like Mm -hmm. because though that sends signals you know that sends signals i was watching something the other day and somebody described like elon musk and um bezos as like the smartest people in the world and I'm like, oh, okay. So we're defining intelligence by right. your amount of money you have, and that's right, exactly. weird. That, that's not even true, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it's like, we we as a society and as a collective need to paradigm shift the way we view success, but also the way we view um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Well, I guess success is the word even in business. Like we need to we need to change the way we view success. But that'll take legislation shifts. That'll take um, shifts in how companies pay people and, and all that kind of stuff. But it, it starts, you know, it, unfortunately, the stuff we're talking about, it does start with our laws. It does start what we allow from a rural standpoint from society. For sure. For sure. I think uh, one of the biggest issues is when we started quantifying success. Yeah. 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 And it's unfortunate. And it's unfortunate because now we have a very superficial society where based on how you look or what you make or whatever like that, that's your quality Mm -hmm. of person. You know, your quality of personhood gets correlated based on how much you make or how good your Instagram looks or follower counts and all that kind of stuff. When in reality, quality of personhood should have been relationship building this whole time. Right. Yeah, it should always be tied to people. It should be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, your podcast, which is called Toxic Leadership: Tales of Transformation, mm-hmm. um, gathers all of your experiences working directly with and overseeing these situations where toxic behavior is occurring. You have guests that share their experiences navigating through these type of situations and how to manage. I like that the experiences shared can be beneficial to anyone who listens, whether yeah. you're a business owner, employee, manager, shift leader, doesn't matter. It all boils down to human behavior. So what are like the main human behaviors or thoughts that lead to managing in a toxic manner? Mm. So you're saying like, what are, what are some behaviors that might like be like a precipice to why somebody's like how somebody's showing yeah. up that way? Correct. Toxic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> um, childhood <laughs> uh, trauma could, yeah. uh, could yeah. be a precipice <laughs> to that. You know what I mean? Like, so let's say you got bullied as a kid and you become a leader in an organization and then you want to you, you have baggage that you bully other people because that's how you were treated from authority. Um, mm-hmm. Right. And so that could be some. It could also be things like uh, you have a view of what work should be and your view of work is basically like yeah i just care about the results building relationships with people don't matter and that's Mm -hmm. a lot of people (laughs) um that could be Mm -hmm. one i think uh it could also be things like when i'm upset at things at home or when i'm upset about things that have nothing to do with work i project that to work or whatever because i can't give i can't give my my rage or my anger or i can't manage my emotions in a, in, a, in a way that's like um, healthy. So I project it to other people. And that typically occurs when I have more power than somebody. And so mm. I project it. And so when you talk about toxic leadership, when, when you analyze the behavior, a lot of this boils down to um, unmet unmet uh, support psychologically from that person. So they may be, you know, they may have some issues related to neuroticism where they're very hot and cold emotionally. They may have issues related to like anger management, to be frank. And they, they need they need to go see a person about that, but no, they don't they don't see a person about that. They, you know, they're the CEO, you know, and so they don't see anybody, and mm-hmm. they get to just be the CEO, and nobody can say anything to them, you know, in a in a structure. Um, and so, a lot of these behaviors are typically unmet psychological needs, and it could also be this person has low self esteem, so they got to show up a certain yeah. way, or they think mm-hmm. they do. You know what I mean? Um, and so yeah, so a, a lot of the, so a lot of the I don't think, and what I didn't say was people are just being mean for no reason. Like I don't, I don't people that have toxic traits and that do toxic behavior. A lot of times, they that that behavior makes perfect sense to them, and so that's why I can't I can't make a living vilifying folks for the behavior because there's always a reason why that behavior exists. And so right. when I get brought in, my job is to unlock that reason, like whisper it out, and figure out how can we replace those behaviors with another coping mechanism that's healthy. Yeah. Um, and typically it involves not having coping at all. It's addressing whatever the issue is at the root. Right. Right. Yep. My next question was asking how you got in this line of work, but you already covered that. Yeah. <laughs> so. right. yeah. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, I'll take it from here. So, like, obviously, you saw a need for change in this field. And as Britt mentioned before, uh, things are inevitably tied to being cutthroat. And I feel like these environments either breed, attract, or maybe even cultivate certain toxic toxicities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm of the belief that the issues kind of have always been there. They just haven't been talked about. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think is the cause for the recent highlighting of toxicity in the workplace uh, and also just in general? You know, you're hearing that word a lot. I have a theory, but I'm going to let you answer first. And then I'll come with my theory. <laughs> All right. Um, so part of it is, I mean, just looking at it scientifically, part of it is we just have increased communication channels. So there's an increase in, because mm. just like you said, things have been happening, but we now have an increased way to show those things happening at a higher rate. So what you see is a correlation, but it's a false correlation, but it's based on our access to more knowledge. You know, so we got the internet, we got yeah. TikTok, everybody can get on live, everybody's on Twitter, mm-hmm. you hear on Facebook, everybody talking about their job sometimes. Like, I see that a lot. I'm like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And so, like, <laughs> you, you see you see stuff, you know, you have to see stuff more. There's people starting websites, like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. this company is toxic and we're going to talk about it publicly. Like, that's not a, yeah. like, the older, older generations didn't do that publicly, like, right. that, you know? Right. And so, A, you see that. Or A is access to information. B is the fact that society shifting where certain behaviors are getting called out at a higher rate, right? And so a great example would be if you watch the show um, Mad Men. If you watch ever watch that show Mad Men where they were in the 50s, they did a whole bunch of stuff in the 50s that was like, wow, you wouldn't do that at work now, you know? Yeah. And right. <laughs> so, you know, like, it's crazy. Like, but it was different. That was before the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And so mm-hmm. there, society as society shifts from a from a uh, not only legality standpoint, as society shifts from what behaviors are normalized and talked about, things start to get oh that's bad now and so that when they talk about cancel culture like i'm not a uh, I, like i don't like putting labels on stuff like that because the me too movement for example should have always been the me too movement right that that there's no time period where i think that was appropriate it's just what we allowed and that's unfortunate yeah, right, for women right. for example you know and so uh, society i think society just goes through ebbs and flows of like okay we're outraged and okay we're not and we allow things and that's unfortunate but it all, again, it all goes back to like the values of the greater system. Um, so, right. Uh, I mean, I think you answered that very well. Uh, my little theory after that yeah. that great dissertation you just gave yeah. us uh, <laughs> was uh, historically, you know, these environments have been male dominated, and now we're seeing more women in the workplace and just overall diversity, or at least it seems that that's the push in the direction that we're going. So it's not like the boys club that it used to be and it can't operate the same way. So these stories coming about uh, these companies being called out for certain behaviors is kind of like just an old standard trying to catch up to a changing world. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I think, you know, you, you, what you said aligns with what I'm saying exactly right. Because, you know, as we increase our diversity, not only do people, you will, you will have a, you will have more attention because I used to be able to be able to tell this joke and now I can't because Cheryl is sitting right there, you know, or I do tell that joke and now I'm talking to HR, you know, like, like people like, again, as environments shift, certain behaviors will get called out because yeah, they become, they've always been wrong, but now there's a consequence, you know, now there's mm-hmm. a, now there's a more of a consequence because somebody, will, somebody, will, you know, report that, which they should, you know. Um, whereas previously in the old boys club, in order to stay in the boys club, you can't, you ain't reporting nothing. And so that could be, you know, so to your point, yeah, that's a good theory. I like that. All right. So I have a question Mm -hmm. and I'm just wondering, 
Mm. I'm not trying to like put blame on anyone or anything like that, but I'm just wondering. Let's just so, blame every. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the people that are being managed by toxic individuals. Are they displaying toxic behavior by allowing themselves to be led in this manner? Oh, great question. I like this question. That's a good question. I like this question. All right. It it depends. Okay. And that's the cop-out answer, but no, I'll give you an answer. So um, <laughs> are they displaying toxicity? So one of the things about toxicity that exists is it's both covert and overt, but it's both. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be covert and overt. So let me give you an example. Let's say I was in a conflict with somebody and I aggressively, I beat on tables and I yell. Would y'all say that's toxic? Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. Let's say I um, gossip. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm now, I'm in a conflict with you, but I'm a gossip behind your back. Is that toxic? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Okay. Okay. All right. So then let's say I'm being, you know, I'm being managed by somebody who's toxic and... I'm building up resentment. Yeah. Is that right. toxic? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so even the, the, both the covert and the overt actions we do can be toxic because toxicity in the way I define it is basically those behaviors that actually destruct relationships. And so if okay. I'm in a relationship and you can think about this in work or at work, but if I'm in a relationship and the interaction of the relationship is us destructing whether that's through something i'm doing overtly or something i'm doing covertly so like i'm right. i'm kind of cold i'm ice now or i'm i'm, I'm resentment yeah. i'm holding resentment or i'm frustrated but i can't say it that's toxic too and so yeah i do think people who are who and, and, and again that yielding behavior that people do is protecting mm-hmm. them temporarily but it is toxic because a that's going to boil over one day into something over or that's deteriorating your health as a person right, right? your stress and stuff like right. that so yeah 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 and, and, and to your point about mindsets and thoughts that's also you're also allowing yourself to get into a um a pattern of thinking sometimes where it's like I'm not I deserve this or yeah. I'm not good enough you know what I mean you tend to and that's destructive too and so yeah mm-hmm. yeah it, it, it's it's toxic as well um, for those very reasons and it's unfortunate that people do that right so that leads to my next question like how would you suggest holding a toxic leader accountable like should you be ready to risk losing your position for calling out a toxic leader or I mean should you just forget it and change positions altogether Mm. I mean, Should you quit, quit. <laughs> like, yeah, like, is there is there ever an easy way to like call your boss out? Like, yeah, yeah without I mean, getting reprimanded. A, the the situation is varied because, like, if it's something that I, I think, like, first and foremost, speaking to the person directly is always a option. Like, that's always yeah. a good option um, mm-hmm. because sometimes the fears that we have about like speaking up are are fears we created based on somebody previously, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, like, I might have a fear of speaking up because I got I got reprimanded or retaliated against at another company so i don't i don't do it anymore but i create that narrative in my head that Mm. like oh this is gonna happen again well you don't know until you try so let's say you tried it and it didn't work hr is the same way i always tell people look you want to at least like regardless if you trust hr or not get that on record because you're going to document, you know, you, you need to document that you went. And what I typically recommend is if you talk to somebody in HR, send them an email about what y'all talked about and say, hey, yeah. I just want to make sure you I want to clarify what we talked about. Because now you got a date stamp, a time stamp, whatever that y'all talked about it. And 
I'd put a line in there that says something like, um, and if and if this if this if what I put doesn't agree with your your recollection of our conversation, let me know. And right. if they don't say there nothing, guess what? Yep. You know, hey, you, hey. You, you, yeah, if they don't say nothing, hey. you, you got that's your documentation. Said what I said. You said what you said. And so I, I, I there are options uh, to the question. There are options to take. You could also look at like if you have coworkers um, that have went through a similar situation, you could ask them, well, what did y'all do with this same person? You know, was there, you know, good look for tips there. And then lastly, you know, again, if you have a lawyer or if you have somebody externally outside the system you can talk to just to have that conversation, do that too. You want to find out as much data as possible because in those situations where we have toxic leaders or people that have toxic behavior around us, we tend to minimize and feel alone in that situation. That's like the worst place you're going to be. And so you want to mm-hmm. make sure you're at, you want to make sure you're you're open enough for as much data as possible so that you don't get that minimization feeling of feeling isolated and not having, you know, I don't have any answers cuz I'm the only one going through right. this. You know, that that's 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 destructive. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so I recently tuned into one of your uh your IG lives. Okay. Uh Oof. while I was at work. Great job, by the way. Excellent. Great Thank job. You. Thank you. Um, I'm mad because I had exactly what you had said written down on a post-it note at my desk and I forgot to bring it home with me. <laughs> well well, it's all right. That's the universe telling you that that note belongs at work. That message belongs at your job. Right, facts. There you go. Facts. <laughs> um but it was kind of along the lines of taking ownership and responsibility of your thoughts and your emotions as they respond to outside influences that act upon them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of taking back your power of sorts. Yeah. But it all starts, to me at least, in how you take in the information and decide how you're going to think about it. Mm-hmm. So I feel a lot of times that we're at the whim of our emotions and emotions kind of dictate our thoughts. Yeah. How would you describe the relationship between emotions and thoughts well, before you well, answer that before you answer yeah. that yep. i'm gonna just throw in the definition for topics sake yes because <laughs> yes. we didn't throw in the definition of a thought um of course the the definitions i found were very you know it's like the process yes. of thinking and i'm they're, like well that's very, basic yeah, yeah like yeah. no like don't yeah. give me that so i actually found a definition from a neuroscientist named paul king he said a thought could be described as a structured represent representation of a point of view belief hypothetical possibility or intended action okay so to reiterate isaiah's question how would you describe the relationship between emotion and thoughts? Okay, so the relationship between emotions and thoughts um, really boil down to how you as the person made that, how, how you as a person kind of make those connections because there, for one, for one, some people's connection might be emotion and thought, just like that. Mm-hmm. Some people's connection might be thought and emotion. Some people's connection might be thought and then a break and then emotion or emotion, then a break, then a thought. And that's what I teach, actually. And so I teach this process called acceptance commitment therapy. And when I do acceptance commitment therapy with folks, I actually teach them to separate what they're thinking and not try to be the thought. Mm. So you know what I mean? Like, don't be the thought because I need some in, of that therapy. Doctor way, but we going we gonna sign you up. But <laughs> so I do I do that therapy with people where I basically train them to get out of the thought. Let the thought because because if you notice, some of your thoughts occur before you even had time to figure out what emotion it was. Some of your thoughts yeah. occur. We have a, we have like a millions of thoughts a day that we don't even know. And so mm. I train people when they have a thought, don't like put an emotion to it. Like, oh my god. 
or, or let's say let's say emotion. Oh, I'm I'm upset, and you try to think of a reason why you should be upset. Oh, I'm upset. I'm offended by that, but what they just said. That's why I'm upset. You know, I train people to say, okay, you're offended by something. Now step out. Dr. Sansbury's offended by something. Why? I'm, I'm basically metaphysically getting out of my body a little bit, and I'm at I'm looking down at myself and saying, why am I upset? Why is why is he upset? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe he's upset because of this. Maybe he's upset because of because I want to yeah. separate myself from that automatic thought that occurred. And so, in that, it's um, I, you know, a lot of the work is written up in a great book called The Detached Soul. It's one of my favorite mm-hmm. books. And in that to book, that uh, I, 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 yeah, it's a really great book. Um, but I, I've I've used this methodology of acceptance commitment therapy to help people like separate that uh, inner voice in our head from mm-hmm. causing emotion. Right. Um, because sometimes we we tend to have thoughts that and we cause emotion or we tend to have emotion that causes thoughts. I hurt my own we, feelings mm. every day. Yeah. Yeah. So what like what tips do you have to do that to be able to yeah. separate? Yeah. Well, one of the things to do is um, write it down, like literally write down the thought. Uh, and, and if you don't like writing, say it, just say the thought out loud. Mm-hmm. And and do like do what I just did in a third party, you know. Why I don't call myself Doctor Kevin or Doctor Sensei, I call myself Kevin. But like you know, like why is Kevin feeling this way? And you, because you, you're basically sending you're sending yourself a signal. You're sending yourself mm-hmm. a signal that like, hey, I'm not my thoughts, because we're not our thoughts. Our thoughts are right. you know we're not you know. And so you you have to be able to, in order to have that external kind of thing, you have to do something external. So that's why I said write it down, make it something. So if you make it mm-hmm. a tangible thought, you put it on a post-it note, you can now look at it. You know, mm-hmm. other tips that people have with that is like, let's say, let's say you were, let's say you're really mad at somebody because they did something to, to snap yourself out of that. I don't do this. This don't work for me, but it could work mm-hmm. for some people. <laughs> but they said, like, play that thought in your head in like a funny voice and like try to try to just make the thought a thing you know just make it oh i do that yeah okay okay yeah yeah, yeah i do that just make the, I make think the that thought make me more upset because <laughs> yeah. now i'm like dang like... my brain teasing me now you know because the whole the whole point of these cues is to trigger yourself to jump out of the vehicle of the racing thoughts and gotcha. so with those racing thoughts that occur that we typically try to say oh i think this so this must be me and i must be a bad person right. or i think this so i right. must be blah, blah, blah. you know in order to get out of that you know you have to be, be able to detach from the thought and kind of just play with the thought outside of like be, being you if that makes sense yeah definitely no it makes perfect sense like i'm I'm thinking because like I've kind of always had this idea, especially with now with everything that's going on mm-hmm. and everybody being able to spew their opinions out. Like people have really made their thoughts and the opinions their identity. Oh yeah. And and that's why when you when you might push back on a thought that they have, it feels like a personal attack against them. Right. And we're Personally. seeing that mm-hmm. a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. I really feel like thoughts should come and go. They yeah. thought should be something that are free flowing, and you kind of need to. I don't know, just like separate yourself from them. Mm-hmm. Like I hold this belief, but I can let it go mm-hmm. if new information comes. So I think it's very important to be able to separate. Thank you for breaking that down. Yeah, and I'll give you another tip that I've used with people. So some folks need to like, need space to do that. And so I usually tell them like when you're, you know, meditate, first of all, and just let let yeah. the things flow. And the best way to let things flow is like visualize every thought you have as a like a leaf on a river 
and just put that thought in that leaf and just have it mm-hmm. flow in the river mm-hmm. and just let them go and let them let them go because yeah. that way you're just letting the thoughts manifest by themselves and and, and also exit by themselves yeah instead of you mm-hmm. trying to twist and turn the thought and make meaning mm-hmm. of it and da, 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 da. because let's say you've seen something online that you know you you disagree with somebody's opinion well you can ask yourself a question well why do i why you know why am i upset at them but also another thing I do, especially when you're working with other people, is asking yourself the question of what else might be true. And that's a great way for you. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like ask yourself that question because it's like, what else might be true? So let's say somebody is a um, anti-vaccination person and you are a pro-vaccination person. Oh, well, let's, let's, sorry, everybody should be pro-vaccination because everybody has like the regular vaccinations. But let's, we're talking about COVID. Mm-hmm. So let's say the yeah. COVID vaccination because mm-hmm. that's the one on, on topic. So let's say you had a, a, a very big disagreement about that with somebody that you knew or whatever. Instead of like, because at the end of the day, you can disagree with, you, you disagree with their opinions, but they disagree with your opinions. At the end of the day, they're both mm-hmm. opinions first, yeah. regardless of the evidence. They're both mm-hmm. opinions too. And so at that standpoint, both parties can simply ask, well, what else might be true? You know, what else might be true? And that would allow you to be empathetic to another person's position instead of judgmental. Because that that judgmental is that, um, again, that's a thought that we sometimes Mm -hmm. have to separate ourselves from. So there's a problem with people not wanting to be wrong, though. That's a that happens. That's that's a that's a that's a very toxic thought process. That's a that's a toxic mental model. And that's something that people have to say, like, you know, you have to create systems to counteract that stuff. So if you're very competitive, if you don't want to lose, if you don't want to be wrong, you have to be able to first name that. And then once Mm -hmm. you name that, you can build a a cognitive plan around counteracting that because Mm -hmm. that behavior in you might not be helpful. It might not be. And so it's just like, how can I build a plan around that? And, And when I separate from that. Am I saying this because I want to be right? You know, mm-hmm. you ask yourself these questions mm-hmm. because, right, because right. I, you know, I tell people all the time, you can either be right or you can be right now. And what I like that, it. Right. And what that yeah. means is sometimes when you write, it's not going to always help the situation. Being right's not yeah. always yeah. helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and I gotta, that's, something, that's something I got to fight against sometimes. Like, there's plenty of yeah. things. I'm like, no, that's wrong. Why do you make a generalization? You know, but no, I, I, I like, I, I'm like, is, is it helpful for the, com- are they even going to read the research that I'm telling them about? No. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, like, yeah. no, who cares? And so I, who, who cares about being right? And that's something that wisdom brings. You have to, I guess in layman's thing. terms, we could say that's reading the room. please do yeah yeah definitely yeah so um you kind of explained that very well and i was gonna ask my follow-up was like do you think the importance of thoughts take a back seat to emotion because it seems like everyone kind of leads with emotion nowadays and it almost seems like you're cold if you don't like i tried to stay logical but sometimes you know it's not good sometimes you come off as cold sometimes you come off uh, a certain way and it's not helping the situation but sometimes it's necessary i think so yeah. like how do you choose when you need to go logic route or do you need to be emotional it might just be read the room i might we might have just answered it no well i mean i don't I, to be honest i would say don't separate them out because you can't yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You you can't. And so let's say, first of all, we're emotional creatures. So there's like no way we can replicate a, the logic of a robot or a Tesla car mm-hmm. or anything like that. So like, there's no way to do that, you know. And so at the end of the day, there is underlying emotion into every decision we make. And it's just a level of suppression that's different. And so typically when we say, oh, I was logical about this. No, you just suppressed all the emotion you had. You really were. Yeah, I need to get on your sofa, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. 
Stop reading me, sir. I don't appreciate it. I didn't have you on our podcast. You were on. This wasn't supposed to be a a, a, a session for me, buddy. Right. But that's but that's what happens. That's what happens. And 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 I'll tell you, like I remember when I was a kid. I remember this day. I, re- I literally remember this day. And I made a I made a fatal like mistake in a way. But somebody made me mad, and I totally didn't and I you know I, I know I, I process emotion differently um and uh and Brick can tell you that Brick can tell you that we grew up together and um yep <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the things about the way I process emotion is sometimes I don't like get the emotion in the room I'm like why are you crying I don't know what to do like okay yes. it's weird I'm yes. like you know what I mean and, and th- okay so so that that's just my brain wiring and mm-hmm. and so I remember when I was a kid, I was like, you know what? These emotions, they are confusing. And I'm just going to try to operate like a robot. I literally had that thought. <laughs> and as I, I was like nine years old or something like that. Right? Well, A, I learned that I had feelings and emotions. I just didn't yeah. grow up learning how to express them as a mm-hmm. black man or black boy mm-hmm. I, I, a I didn't learn I didn't really know how to express them in a way that was safe for me I guess I would say yeah um, mm-hmm. right based on things at school mm-hmm. or if you know if I get mad I'm in detention you know like everybody else get mm-hmm. mad I gotta get you know they get to get talked to and it's all sweet but no I'm, I'm mad right. I'm in I'm detention you know I'm like I didn't even throw no chair or nothing right. um, but <laughs> I mean there was at one time but but yeah so uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but yeah, so 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 my, the conditioning sometimes that we have with our relationship to emotion causes us to suppress emotion because we then don't feel like it's helping us, and so we try to look for what's more helpful, and we take an assumption that okay, logic is going to help me because it's something that I can prove, it's something that can protect mm-hmm. me, I can have proof yep. of how I feel because I can do that. When in reality, that never sold anybody that your logic never convinced anybody your logic never brought anybody closer your logic <sighs> never made anybody happier it's so disappointing when you find all this out i'm over here hiding yeah. like i'm trying to hide from the from the camera like. yeah. and, 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 and at the end of the day it never like we humans can't even like we can't even conceptualize probability that's why everybody plays the lottery let alone mm. logic we're not mm-hmm. logical. We are emotional, first, first and foremost. And so if you want to play the, oh, I'm going to take the logical route, keep, please do that. But know there's emotion underpinning yes. every thought and decision. Yep. And sometimes, yep. as y'all know, some of our thoughts are not even conscious thought. And, and at the end of the day, a, a lot of our thoughts are not even in the, our cognitive control. And, and so you, you have to be able to be more emotionally present. You have to be able to be more emotionally managed and you have to be able to be able to be more to, to be, be able to read emotion a little better to to truly succeed. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave i'll leave the invoice on the table i'm right? like, oh, like five more questions just popped in my head just from those few sentences okay oh, all right oh, I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna go with what i already have all right oh, hold on but wait a second i gotta admit something like right. literally right, like i've there's been times where i thought my logical approach was like just was the best approach ironclad but mm-hmm. yeah uh-huh. like like uh-huh. i literally thought i had a chip on my shoulder yeah mm-hmm. that like oh mm-hmm. i can i can operate this way and it's a lot better than that way so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. all right i got I some homework i would say that my issues with that or i mean especially like when you're dealing with your family or like really close friends and you know they 
maybe not making the best decisions. And it's like, I can clearly see what you should be doing and how you should do it. And you can clearly see what's going to happen. Yeah, you, might be right. like, you might be right. right. Right, but that's just not their path or their no, understanding their and they got to live their own life and it's hard letting that go. Correct. <laughs> mm-hmm. Correct. It is. Well, one 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 takeaway from anybody that, that that's listening is the fact of all behavior makes perfect sense. And if you walk around with that mantra in your pocket, right. you will just be less judgmental. Because, yes, everybody, I believe everybody on earth is connected to everybody on earth. We're all connected. Mm -hmm. I believe that everybody's connected. And with that being said, as the, you know, you know, our shared experience as a human collective, there's a path that everybody has to walk and it's their own. It's not yours. Yes. And so it could be two separate. It could be two situations that somebody's looking at and. It could be like, oh, I want to choose this major. It could be something like, like you know, just something light. I want to choose this major in college. One person be like, oh, don't choose that major. Other person be like, oh my god, choose that major. But yeah. it's based off of what they think. It's based, mm-hmm. and, and, then, and then you're gonna, and then let's use logic. Somebody's gonna come in and say, oh well, let me show you the career prospects for you and how much money mm-hmm. you're not gonna make, and da 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 da. Yeah, right, right. They're gonna bring the logic. But to the person that wants to do it, will that logic sway them at all? Mm-hmm. No. There, no. it won't. It won't. They're, I mean, they're not stupid. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that, mm-hmm. that's what I try to tell people. Like, they're you're not like, you're not like better equipped to solve their problem. And so, when I coach folks, that's actually a approach that I have to take as the coach. Mm-hmm. I am never going to be able to solve your problem. You are going to be able to solve your problem, and you mm-hmm. alone have the agency to solve your problems the best way. And so, with that being said, as a coach, or you know, my third partyness, what I do is. I'm basically a guide to help guide you to solve your problems. I'm not going to, you know, tell you the answer. And if you ask, you know, a lot of people ask me, what should I do? And I'm like, well, look, I'm not going to tell you what you should do, but I'm going to give you some things to think about as you think about what to do and these mm. and then you know so my my guidance might come from my experience but i'm always clear to people about look you have agency and power to solve this the best way and so you have to always center i have to always center other people in their own problems because that's the only way they're going to be re- rectified or solved how do you convince somebody of their own agency mm. you have to use so sometimes i don't know if you've ever been stressed to a point where you tend to forget <laughs> things. Have y'all ever had that yeah. before? Right? Yeah. Okay. My so one of the things that happens <laughs> one of the things that happens with people is Jimmy they get, Tuesday. Right, right, right. They get really stressed <laughs> where they forget that they've already solved this problem before. It's just mm-hmm. in a different avenue. Right? You know, they forget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I have to kind of bring up and remind them of their past successes a lot of times to remind them that okay. you were awesome. You know what I mean? Okay. And so that's one way to do it. They also forget the resources and support that they have around them. And so I also have to lift up what do you already have around you? They also forget that somebody else they know might have solved the same problem. What can you learn from that? Or they might or you might know an answer. What can you learn from that? You know, and so it it's 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 typically how are we bringing people kind of out of the dark that they created and putting them back into the light that they created? <laughs> that's kind of how right, it is. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, okay. so it, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm basically illuminating. And so in those illuminating conversations, yeah, I'm trying to basically uncover things that they their brains hid from them because they're going through some kind of stress or trauma. Right. So this kind of tacks on to what we're talking about right now. Um, so there are many different types of thinking when I was looking mm-hmm. it up, I was like, oh my gosh, there's 
macro, micro, like there's all these other different types. Um, but I came across metacognition, which yeah. um, is the awareness and understanding of one's own thought processes. And I felt like that goes perfectly with what you do. Um, so what would be the first step in taking responsibility for your thoughts and your life outcome? Like even getting to the point where you want to become metacognitive. Mm-hmm. How do you even get there to someone that's that far gone? You build a habit of talking with yourself. Okay. And so what I say by that is not talking to yourself. You get in a habit of talking with yourself. And so what that means is you have a conversation about why you think that way. Mm-hmm. And so when I was, uh, you know, when I told the story about, you know, me being a a younger assistant vice president and all that kind of stuff, um, I used to drive home on I-70, which is a major highway interstate in the United States. And I have what's called I-70 conversations every day. And these were Mm -hmm. conversations I had with myself. I turn the radio down a little bit, you know, and I'll say, oh, my gosh, I am so nervous about tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, why am I nervous? Well, I'm, 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 I'm embarrassed. I might not, I don't, yeah. I feel like people are judging me on my age. You know, I'm going through everything right. and I'm being very honest with myself about why I might be thinking something. Mm-hmm. And I, and I st- that's when I started asking myself this question. What else, what else might be true? And you start getting into the habit of seeing where am I catastrophizing? So where am I making something a catastrophe that's not? Right. Where am I, you know, where am I comparing myself unfairly to others? Right. Where am I harming myself by saying I should have did this or I, you know, all those shouldas and couldas, you know, where, where am I, where am I beating up myself for no reason? And so by talking with yourself, you learn to love yourself. And that's something that a lot of people have to, that's a, that's the first step is like recognizing that you are meta. You know what I mean? Like, so when we talk mm-hmm. about metacognition, you have to recognize you as a person or meta in itself. There is a, mm-hmm. inner, there is a inner world and your inner world you know, as humans, we literally can critique our inner world. We have the ability to think about thoughts. And so why would you waste the beautiful minds that we have by not doing that? And so mm-hmm. you need to spend as much time as you have on this planet to utilize that gift of metacognition. And so that's respecting the meta within you. That's amazing because, you know, typically when people say, oh, that person's talking to themselves, you know, we, oh, we generally yeah. we look at that as the like crap being, out of them. yeah, like, you know, it's just like, <laughs> if you talk to yourself, you're crazy. So I don't think people really take it, you know, to be a serious practice. No. But after hearing, you you know, you describe that and like how you can do it just by giving that example, um, I think everybody should be talking to themselves. I do too. <laughs> you know what's even more wild? What's even more wild is we're talking to ourselves anyway. Whenever we say something negative to ourselves, how often oh, do you yeah, have a negative conversation yeah. with yourself? Right, right. But once you start actively talking to yourself, it's like, oh, that person's crazy. Yeah, like questioning no, you just been yourself. Shitting on yourself. Correct. Yeah, that's there's a big difference. And and it, and, it, and, it, and it looks crazy, but then if you if you sit there doing that, that that could cause something called introjective depression which is mm-hmm. basically depression that you've developed over self-critique and over, yeah. over overly mm-hmm. self-critique. And so, you know, it's kind of one of the thing one of the things that I'm that I'm thinking about related to that whole metacognition thing and just how we um you know, how how we kind of we kind of look at we kind of look down on it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it it's unfortunate because it's I mean if we learn from like our indigenous people and people like African tribes and other cultures, there's mm-hmm. metacognition built into that, you know, meditation, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. connections with nature, um, connections with the sun. 
there's we yeah. we were we are we are mega cognitive already, but we've built it where oh no, don't talk to yourself because they gonna think you crazy, or don't even think about your inner thoughts because they gonna think you crazy. Don't meditate because that's crazy. You know, like no, mm. we label things as crazy or or what have you just because it's not normalized. When in yeah. reality, yeah, yeah, th- we need to, these things are actually helpful for us to see the world and to interpret the world. Or to that we have to seek out someone else to be able to check in or you with ourselves. To. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. you have to. Like yeah. there's no other you way. Have to. There's no other way. <laughs> right, right, right. And I and I and I don't you know, I think there are multiple truths and one of those truths is, you know, you have the power and agency to do that inner work every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's kind of on topic, but off topic, but mm-hmm. it's found something interesting. I listened to yeah. a podcast a while back where the guest was speaking about mental immunity. Mm-hmm. I think his name was like Andy Norman. Okay. Um, and it was like the viewing of bad ideas as almost like mind parasites and mm. just searching for a better way of thinking. So I don't know if there's like legitimate science behind it. It sounded good, but I do find the idea of like mind parasites interesting because our thoughts can kind of take a hold of us. They affect our behavior. They affect the way we interact with the world, just like an actual parasite would. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Have you ever heard about that type of mm-hmm. study? Like, what are you, what is your take on that? Yeah, we're actually studying the same thing, actually. So when you think when you think about mental parasites, they call them parasites because they spread. I call toxic mm. behavior toxic behavior because it spreads. So we're saying the same thing, just using different words. And so absolutely, there are certain mental parasites or toxic behaviors that become a recording in a way, a narrative recording in your head. And so uh, one, one that comes up a lot is something like, um, let's say... I don't know. Give me y- 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 any mental parasites y'all want to share. I'm going to use it as an example. Hmm. hmm. Okay, I got y- one. You go, Britt. I'm oh, you okay, you for real, Zay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll say one. I'll say one that's pretty easy. You know, I just had a baby. So, you know, I'm getting on myself about not losing weight fast enough, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to not beat myself up about it. It's only been five months. So I I guess that's a current parasite I'm working on. Yeah. So a parasite in that aspect could be, I, I will, I can't gain, I can't lose weight Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever. And so like, that's a mental parasite, for example, because I can't. Shit. It's like, well, see, I'm I'm not. (laughs) I I don't go there with it, but I know people do. People could, you know, right. But you're right. People could. And so that mental parasite, how likely will it be for somebody to get up and do the work to go to the gym? If they have those mental parasites, how likely right. will it be mm-hmm. for somebody to count calories, which can't help, you know, or, you know, or do mm-hmm. something like that, or, you know, whatever they want to do. Like, how, how likely would it be? Like, for example, mine is one of my mental parasites ready to working out is I hate cardio. So all I do mm-hmm. is lift. Well, will I ever do cardio if I keep saying that? No. Right. And when, right. I, when you know, and when I when I and when I start cardio and I get one bad running, I you know, have some shin splints or something, which is totally normal mm-hmm. for people. And I'm, oh, see, that's why I hate cardio. That's going to mm-hmm. be a thing. And, and guess what? I'm going to stop doing it because I hate cardio. That's my mental thing. You can even take that mental parasite into school with um, like little girls. There's research that shows that like women are not like bad at math. But what happens is they get put in situations where they've been conditioned to think they were bad at math and they tend right. to score lower in tests because they hmm. think they're bad at math. When in wow. reality, they're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? So That's it's like, funny because like, I swear I was terrible in math and like all I do is work with numbers right now and I'm actually not bad at math. <laughs> and you're not yo, bad. It's the same with me, yo. Right? It's right? the same with same, me. I was same horrible. With me. Same with me. I, I did too. <laughs> and, I, and I got like, I, I was so bad with, I was so bad with that mental parasite about math. 
but I mm-hmm. I did math even in grad school, you know, like oh, doctorate level math that I got oh, A's. Wow. Oh, you mm-hmm. don't, I mean, you don't get so A's. You're like, hold up. Like, <laughs> yeah, but I was like, but, but, but again, I was like, oh my gosh, what is that? Where'd that come from? But mm-hmm. they become parasites. And again, if you're not having that metacognition, you never gonna know it's a parasite. You right. just gonna think right, it's right, a right. thought, mm-hmm. so it must be true. And mm-hmm. so we have to like dig in because some of our thoughts are false, um, give us false positives. And what what that what that can mean is like you might have a thought about something, and it's not necessarily that thought is right or not. It's your brain is just trying to protect you from a fear that you didn't even know you had. Mm-hmm. And so it could be, and, but it, but then it, but then you lose out if you go if you go with the thought all the way, you lose out on some experience. You lose out. On something and so like a self-fulfilling prophecy it is definitely it is definitely a self-fulfilling prophecy it's like it could be something like oh like i have let me tell you a mental parasite i have that i don't even know i have but my wife tells me i have it so like um i have and i've and i've been through mental through me talking to myself i'll tell you what i discovered so i'm never i don't like crowds even before Mm -hmm. covid I don't like going. I don't like going out. Me too. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. So I'm like, I, I don't like crowds, and it's and 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 I don't have a reason. I just get uncomfortable sometimes. I don't like going out. I'm like, I don't like talking to everybody. All that. Stuff. You know. Yeah. So that, that's sometimes <laughs> right. I don't like doing that. Right. That's just not mm-hmm. my thing. Well, my wife, my wife will ask me like, Hey, do you do you want to go blank? I'm like, Well, no. So she started saying, Hey, let's go blank, and I'm like. Uh, okay you know huh. and even mm-hmm. even yeah. though i like i cognitively was like oh i don't want to go da, 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 i go and i always have a great time and nothing yeah. bad happened da, 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 da. but like my so i had to do some i did we you know we me and my wife talked about it we actually kind of metacognition together but like mm-hmm. having like that intimate conversation about why why do you think that i'm like i don't know i was like maybe i don't know maybe it's just like i'm not like i'm introverted and so I'm very like private, mm-hmm. and so it's really mm-hmm. hard for me to be public. I'm a public speaker, but it's really hard for me to do that kind of stuff sometimes, <laughs> yeah. especially in an intimate way, like telling people about me. And so a lot of times, my like aversion to like not going out is just me hiding myself in a way. And mm-hmm. I had to learn that I was that that hiding myself thing. I was doing that in my actions of not going out, which again that was that's called a generalization. It had nothing to do with it. It had nothing to do with each other. But like my mm-hmm. brain is trying to protect me as best it can, and so through conversation, and I, I did talk to a therapist at one time too. But again, a therapy therapy's on therapy's only gonna go so far if you're not doing the work yeah. at home. You, you, you ain't right. doing the work. So you, so I had right. to also do a lot more work on my own. And again, through that, I have to ask myself questions before I say no. Do I have a legitimate reason to say no? Am I just tired? That's that's a good reason. But if it's just like, oh, I don't know, I don't know why I'm gonna say no, then I need to dig deeper and really look at why I'm answering that way. Right. Yeah. All right. So I want to get into the law of attraction. Oh. Quantum, 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 <laughs> quantum. <laughs> Yo, is it funny? Like that's come up on our podcast before, but we've never had like a doctor to actually like oh, yeah, let's solidify talk. quantum. Like, I feel like we can say it with confidence now. I, yeah, 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 I, totally. I'm not going to get into nothing that crazy deep. But um, no, no. I want to. All right. So we're going to get into some TED Talk talk. TED Talk talk. All right. All right. So first, talk. I want to ask about, you know, how the TED Talk you gave at the University of Cincinnati, Cincinnati came about and if it was something that you feel that you manifested. Oh, wow. Looking back on it. I truly believe I probably manifested everything that's happened. Um, yeah. Because some, right. some of the things that I, th- some of the things that I know that like aspirationally I'm doing now, 
I've been talking to myself about and, and you know, truly digging in deep about that for years. Mm-hmm. And did I did it just happen without the work? No. You know, I put in work to get here, but if I didn't manifest it and didn't have those kind of conversations that we talked about before, I would never had the conv- the confidence to do it. I would have never yeah. had the confidence to go through with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the the whole notion of like us being able to manifest, that's one one that's one lane, but are you even awake to see the opportunities when they come to you? Right. Because sometimes right. our opportunities that come to us, they might not look the same way as you want it to. They might mm-hmm. not look the same way as you manifest it. And so we have to be able to be awake, I guess I would say. And I'm just and I'm not saying just because you wake up in the morning, you're awake. Mm-hmm. You have to be awake at a deeper level to say, OK, this is an opportunity. You know, mm. or, you know, and it might not look the exact same way as I designed right. it in my logic, you know, in that, yep. in that logical mm-hmm. mind of mine. It, mm-hmm. don't, it don't look the yep. same way. <laughs> but exactly am I, am I, am I yeah, awake? Right. So, no, um, I, I think I think totally the, the TED Talk was part of that. And um, the way it came about is one of my uh, employees actually at the time had suggested that I uh, take it on based mm-hmm. on her um, knowledge of what I do and what I wanted to talk about and she do some folks on there and so okay. through the interview process and meeting the you know meeting the TED, TED talk people and all that kind of stuff I got in and uh, it was a it was a great talk I actually got to close the event so I was last oh, nice. and so that was that was oh, really a, nice. uh, it was pressure because I had to see everybody else go first but yeah. um, <laughs> it, that was the worst but I got, oh, I got through it <laughs> you did fantastic uh, yeah, yeah. you did fantastic it, I can't even <laughs> imagine being up there oh my gosh <laughs> it's 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 nerve-wracking because one thing about that ted talk is i practiced it like 300 times and it lots of practice but unfortunately when you're on stage you can't really see the audience so that helps okay you have to stay in a red circle so that helps because i walk around a lot so i didn't want to be mm-hmm. stay on camera one and so i stay on camera one and the only thing i can see in this particular talk is a red light and you see a red light, and that means you start. You live. I remember <laughs> the, the the typically when you memorize a talk, it kind of cascades upon itself. So if you know the first sentence, you know the second sentence. Yeah, you can't, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, like, yeah. I know exactly. Wrote mm-hmm. memory, right? right? Well, I forgot the first sentence. Right oh, when that light shoot. Oh, oh, yeah, shit. yeah, you know, <laughs> I blanked. I, I blanked, and the beauty of it is. I was comfortable enough. I'm comfortable enough on stage where nobody knew I blinked or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I just took a moment and breathed and I collected my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And during that, you know, and so during that split second of me like blanking a little bit, I got, you know, I got back on it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so like it, it it's kind of, it's kind of like if you're a runner, I ain't a runner. I told you, I'm, I'm not, I'm, so I almost <laughs> told you, my, I almost said my, my parasite real quick. I'm, I'm not a runner. <laughs> I, I, I don't run as much as I want to. Let me say that. There you go. But, I know when I do run, you you reach something called you can pace. You know, you get yep. to that flow. Mm-hmm. One foot yes. after runner's the other. High. Yeah, yeah. Runner's high. You get that. Well, when you talk, the more you talk in public, the more you speak in public, you might I, I'm I'm introverted. I'm nervous in every talk, mm-hmm. whether I'm talking to eighty thousand people or like yeah. forty. Mm-hmm. I'm nervous in everything, you know. Mm-hmm. But once I get started, I tend to get that high pretty quickly. Yeah. And then I just let it I let I let it flow. And I and I I'm, I'm less about the nerves, and I'm more about whatever I'm there to do, and I'm more about mm-hmm. providing the value. And yeah. so that TED talk was really instrumental for like my career, 
um, because I mean I'm on, I'm on boss, so I don't have like a, a, a job. I pay I pay you know I, I've replaced my salary and all of that and do all of that by myself through the work that I do. And the TED Talk actually gave me um, what's the word I'm looking for? It gave me confidence that I'm that I'm enough because that's another yes. parasite that I have too. Like I'm not enough. I'm not mm-hmm. enough. I'm not good. The imposter I'm a fraud. syndrome. Yeah, imposter mm-hmm. syndrome, right? And so I got to So I got to go remind myself. Look what you did. Okay. I gotta go remind myself. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, so, so <laughs> part, your shit. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me go shit. on there. And so part of part of my part of my um you know inner work or metacognition as we talk about is using that as a way to like you yeah. know get get mm-hmm. back on track a little bit. Right. Have you always been a? You said you're an introverted person, but yeah. you're a public speaker. Like, did you grow up comfortable public speaking? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm certified in Myers Briggs is one of one of my many certifications. But like part of that, you could take a test, and it actually on a scale tells you why you're an introvert. And so mm-hmm. introversion, I want that. it's it's really dope. Yeah, we can we can connect. So it's really dope. So like introversion and extroversion is not necessarily has anything to do with speaking at all. It's really where do you gain energy? And so as okay. extroversion, I gain you extroverts gain energy from external introverts mm-hmm. gain energy from internal. And so that's probably why I talk. I'm talking so deep about the metacognition, because when I'm yeah. doing that, I'm actually gaining energy. There are some mm-hmm. people that don't like meditating because they rather just talk it out that they're probably yeah. extroverted. OK. And so, yeah. And so that's where re- that's really what extroversion and introversion is looking at. And so when I'm on stage, I'm not necessarily gaining energy by me talking on stage to people per se i'm gaining energy seeing them shake their heads or mm-hmm. hearing the applause because i know i connected with them yeah. and that, mm-hmm. that gives me internal i'm internally like yes i connected you got my message da, 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 da. right that's what gives me energy but if i'm at a cocktail party or at a the pre-event for any talk i've ever done i am drained because you here's the speaker for the day all and everybody gotta clap for talk. you and you gotta yeah mm-hmm. all the small talk and I'm, I'm i'm sitting there trying to just get appetizers so i can look busy and yeah. nobody's like I gotta talk all night, you know. <laughs> right, right. But no, but I love, I, but I love people. It's just um, where, where do you, where do you get your energy, and where do you drain? Where is it drained? And it's just based on wiring of the brain. I think yeah, it's so. funny um, when you brought up that split second where you forgot, you know, that first oh, sentence. Yeah. Isn't it crazy though? How like, like I couldn't even tell. I'm sure no one could tell. You know what I mean? Nah, I but right. isn't it crazy to tell. you? It feels like a million seconds. Like it feels like an eternity. Oh my it- gosh! I was like, oh. Right. Well, here, here's here's the thing about that. So like, it felt like an eternity, and also I had a thought. I know I I was thinking of stuff during that whatever second that was. <laughs> I I remember thinking, oh my god, no, you didn't. Like I was in my head. I'm like, no, you didn't. Like. <laughs> Because I'm like, what the heck? Because I, I remember, like, I I annoyed the crap out of my family with that talk. They see yeah. the talk. They my 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 wife memorized that talk. But but like, right. it, but so I'm on stage. Like, no, you didn't. And I had to get. I had to catch myself. And luckily, I started with a story that was my mm-hmm. you know real story. So it was easy to yeah. remember. And I just I just yeah. got in the flow. Um, but yeah, that that happens, and and and, and then I'm I, I've also built that mental flexibility because there was one time where I was doing this. Um, I'm a consultant uh, in a lot of different areas, like I described before, and there was this one time where like I was I had a whole three hours prepared oh, to do uh-huh. X, right? And I'm looking around the room, and none of the people I thought I was going to present to were there. 
Oh, man. The company Ugh. shifted without telling me as the presenter oh, that boy. they wanted me to facilitate this other conversation. Oh, no. And so, and, I, and I'm analyzing in as I look at people going in the room. I had to figure out how to mm-hmm. meet the need without people knowing I yes. didn't prep for this at all. And so, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, 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 you know, they, nobody sent me that memo. And mm-hmm. so, luckily, the mental flexibility is there where I'm not, like, getting nervous. I'm not demonstrating any of those nerves and stuff like that. But I was able to deliver. And it, and it came up at the end. And I, because I, I was honest. I'm like, why are y'all here? Right. And they all started, they, you know, <laughs> and they all started laughing. And they were like, Oh, I don't know. We just got the meeting invite last week, and I think the, oh I think gosh. the I think HR shifted or something like that. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I was like, well, in full transparency, I wasn't even ready for y'all, but did everything go great? And I was like, oh my god, right. it was great. We couldn't tell, you know. And, and so that <laughs> a lot of that stuff just happened. So I, again, I want to tie this back to what we talked about before. This is not something that just I just have as a gift. This is just some. This is something I've been able to manifest through metacognition. I spend mm. time in my inner world to not allow imposter syndrome to put me on on tilt. You know, I, I yeah. allow. I still have imposter syndrome, but I know how to show up when I need to show up, right. and that's due to my my buffering mm-hmm. of positive self talk and my 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 buffering of being able to like ask myself why I'm thinking some way. So I, I get to know myself. I'm able to control myself. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Have you ever heard the theory of, of why people are scared of public speaking? Let me hear it. Uh, it's said that, you know, we come from tribes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Smaller tribes, smaller people. Mm-hmm. And it said that whenever we've had to speak in front of a group of people, mm-hmm. we were probably speaking for our lives oh, or speaking oh, out of not being banished outside of oh, like the exile. tribe. That, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, that, that's interesting. It makes that makes a lot of sense to that. me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think. <laughs> I think, but that goes back to like, it also goes back to the fact of as humans, how can you connect with a group of people that large? If you think about right. it, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, you know, again, our brains are emotional. You're emotional before you're logical, the way the brain works, the, brain, the way the brain's wired. And so at the end of the day, if our superpower is the emotionality, yeah, how would you, how would you naturally be able to emotionally connect with that, that many people too? So it's like, right. maybe, maybe, to, you know, maybe with all that, it's also a fear response. That's, that's, I've never heard of that, but that's cool. Yeah. Um, so back on to the TED Talk, I just want to say that I, I love the title. The mask we wear in, in the workplace, workplace the masquerade. masquerade. Yes. It's so true. It's yes. so true. Like, you know, yes. the workplace is like the fakest environment. Isn't I don't it? know how many. T- I work in corporate. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how many times I have to just laugh at a joke. <laughs> like you got laugh to work, at you got work laugh. Yeah, uh, yeah. Of course. Of course. The office <laughs> smile, the work, work voice. That's my problem. I be uh. <laughs> <laughs> laughing too loud. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I love it. We're definitely going to link that. Please. Uh, I'll try to throw it in the description. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so along with practicing 300 times for your TED Talk, yes. did you have um, like any mantras you utilize for yourself or like any positive self-talk um that helped Hmm. you you know stay pumped up for your event yeah i mean one of them was so i got i I had a green room so i was behind you know i had a green room i was in the whole day because like it started like 10 o'clock and i had to get on at two or something like that so again i had to like listen to auto applause i had to see the intro intermission i'm like come on hurry (laughs) up let me get on stage (laughs) yeah i'm sitting there like you know and um one of the things I had to do from a self-talk standpoint is remind myself that I'm here for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what that meant was not only 
it's a double entendre. I'm here for a reason, meaning I'm here to do a job, but yeah, also right. I'm here to do a job. Right. And so listening to that two ways, that's basically saying, look, it's time to show up, you know. But then the other way is they want you to show up. They picked you. They picked you to go last. Da, 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 da. Like I had all yeah, I mean, because that was true. Right, right. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, and so I had to just keep repeating that to myself. I also turned the TV off because I was tired of watching everybody else's talks. I was like, nah, I, I ain't know, watching this. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. so I was Check like, it out nah. later. Yep. Yeah. And then another thing I did, I actually still have this, but like I got on Spotify and there was um I had two two playlists I created. It was like, and I still use it on my speech, but before any speech, but mm-hmm. it's called like um, public speaking, like. Uh, pump up or something like that. It's okay. just like some yeah. music or whatever, and then public speaking calm. Because whatever I was feeling mm-hmm. at the, d- during that day, I had to figure out, okay, I'll get excited or calm myself, get excited or calm myself. And so those were the ways to do that. And about the title, The Masks We Wear in the Workplace Masquerade, um, that's actually the same title as my research. My dissertation is called The Masks We Wear in the Workplace Masquerade. Mm. And my my research focused in on like toxic workplace behaviors and it also focused in on when do people wear that mask and why mm-hmm. and and so it's a really i mean really interesting study um and i touched on a little bit of it at the ted talk but to be completely honest when i did the ted talk it was february when my research got in it was may or june and when i was able to prove everything i said on stage was july of that year and so though though my ted talk like made perfect sense to me and everybody in the audience and everybody on youtube i didn't prove it yet (laughs) you know i didn't prove it (laughs) academically yet and so that's crazy i was listening to uh you were a guest on somebody else's show and you were kind of saying exactly that like you were this was like testing this stuff out yes it was Huh. That's it's kind of like, ballsy. Yeah, it that's is. ballsy. It is, it is. It is. But it's kind of like I, I kind of treat it the same way as like how comedians te- test out material before right. they, even before they go on HBO or whatever, or I guess Netflix nowadays. Um, wow, showing age. But um, with that being said, <laughs> <laughs> kid, you know, younger kids like HBO comedy special, but whatever. Right. Um, I could have said Comic View. That would have been dope. Too. Exactly. But, um, <laughs> that would have showed that would have showed age and ethnicity. Mm-hmm. But like, um, but yeah, no, it was it was. But but at the end of the day a lot of times when you do research you know my research questions were grounded in data except that data was anecdotal and so mm-hmm. one of the groups that I talked to very like a lot about about my research about that mask we wear in the workplace were people of color mm-hmm. were women and I knew it happened to plenty of countless people who wear that mask and they were able to tell me what's that mask look like and all that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. i had confidence that i was going to be right in what i um what i surmised but even if sorry my amazon or my doorbell even if i were wrong you know i'd be able to write it in a way where it's like oh i just got to get better data or you know i don't know right right <laughs> yeah. like, i gotta you know because 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 to be honest um the manifestation of that that it's called facade creation we all do it. I just had to be mm-hmm. able to prove it in toxic work environments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So you need to promote all of your stuff, your consulting company and all your socials. Yeah. So lay it on them, please. All right. Well, I mean, I guess the biggest the biggest way to reach me or the best best way to get everything is kind of visit the toxic leadership dot com. Uh, you can visit that website. and I have links to every social in my in my ecosystem. Um, I'm also available on LinkedIn at drkevinsansbury.com. Uh, nope, that's not it. It's LinkedIn, Dr. Kevin Sansbury. Uh, I also have um, anybody who wants to ask questions about anything we talked about today or any questions in general, you can literally 
send me a voicemail or a voice message on askdrkev.com. And if you go there, you can literally click on a button and it says record and you can literally just start talking to me and it'll send me a message and I'll, res I'll respond back to you. And um, that's open and free to anybody who submits messages, questions and all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Um, that's does, does the answer go to their email or do they check back into your site to get the answer? It goes to their email. Oh, yeah. nice. It'll go, it, yeah, so it'll let them know. It'll say, hey, he, he's responded, and you can correct, click play, and it'll play it for you. And I've had some really great conversations with folks um, related to career progression, related to, like, you know, race and ethnicity and workplace, related to, mm -hmm. like, toxic behaviors in their relationships and stuff like that. Whatever that might be, um, people, I mean, I don't guide the questions. People ask away, and that's, I'm just there to provide support and insight. Um, but, yeah, and that's a, that's a quick way to reach me. Um, yeah, so. Perfect. Awesome. We will link as much as possible in the description for this episode. Um, thank you. We want to yeah. thank you so much for coming on. This was a great conversation. Thank you, Britt, for putting this together. You're awesome. Uh, and thank you to all the listeners. All the listeners. Um, we want to give y'all content that y'all enjoy, useful content, and uh, I think we accomplished that today. So. Thank you, Dr. Kevin Sansbury. I want to keep saying doctor because, you it's know, cool. this is kind of a big deal for hey, us. He too. earned it. You know what I mean? I, it it, it took, took, a lot of, took a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, to our audience, we hope you all enjoy your day and um, definitely reach out to them. Yeah. Uh, yes. It'll be in the description. Thank you so much. And we are out of here. Everybody say bye. Bye, y'all. Bye, guys. Take care. Peace.